0: for your faithfulness you're the solid rock we can stand you live to intercede for us we bless you we just thank you for who you are and who we are because of you speak to our hearts again this morning I ask in Jesus precious name amen, amen. would you have your seats well good morning church family We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's chapter 5 through 7, for the past couple of weeks, and we are still in that and will be for quite some time. Um, and this is a good thing, but I also know that it's tough because Jesus, all through the Sermon on the Mount, really hits hard on heart issues and a lot of things we struggle with. And so he is continually not letting up and digging in. And so um, we are going to continue to dig in and allow him to continue to change us. So we are in Matthew chapter 6. For the past couple of weeks, we've gone through and we've seen about fasting and about prayer and about giving. Last week, we went through Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. So this morning, we're going to be picking up in verse 19 again. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Before we do that, would you pray with me? Let's pray. God, we praise you for your faithfulness. God, what a perfect song as we sang, as that's what this morning's message is about, is your faithfulness. God, we thank you for who you are. God, I pray that you may speak through me. God, may you speak to hearts. May you change us. Help us to understand what you are teaching us in these next few verses. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we're picking up in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus warned us of earthly treasure. So, let's look in verse 19. Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, nor where thieves break in and steal. And then Jesus ends it with verse 21, the capstone of what he's teaching for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The next couple of verses we're going to look through this morning is going to tie right into these things as Jesus goes in and he goes on to say, Don't worry. And he says that because he just talked with us. he just taught us to give up our earthly treasure. So our natural thought would be, well, what if I give up all of my earthly treasure? How am I going to provide for myself? So we're going to pick up this morning in verse 24, and we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning just on verse 24. But by the time we're done, I'm hoping we make it through verse 34. So... We're going to spend most of the time on 24 because that verse is essential for us to understand the rest all the way to 34. So about half our time is going to be spent on verse 24. So read with me on this. No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So we're going to spend an, an incredible amount of time on this. So verse 24, we're just going to look at the first four words here. No one can serve. No one can serve. What Jesus is getting at just with these first couple of words is very important to the rest of the whole, whole verse. This word, servant, comes from the word doulos, which is a Greek word, doulos meaning a slave, one who is in permanent relationship of servitude to another. His will being altogether consumed in the will of his or her master. One serving, bound to serve, in bondage to serve. So Jesus is starting saying, we are a servant. You are a servant. And since I'm now a father soon to be and skilled in all pregnancy um, terminology, you might understand the word doula, right? Doula, which is a female who helps in childbirth. And it comes from the same Greek word, doulos, which is the uh, masculine form, doula is the feminine form. So, this, this things I'm learning, videos I'm watching is really paying off. I just had to throw in there something. So, the word doula is the same form as doulos. So, I want us to continue looking. This is just the form of a slave, a servant. And I want us to see this used in a setting. So, let's turn to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to see this word doulos or doula being used. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. And it says this When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, this word, doulos, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found one with such faith. So this centurion saying, I have men under me, I tell them to go when they go. I tell them to come, and they come. I tell them, do this, and they do it. That's the word Jesus is saying we are, dulos. We are a servant. What it meant to be a servant was that we had or you had given up your rights. You've given up your rights. You were property. You were owned by someone else. You had no free time. That's what it meant to be a dulos at that time. When we go to work tomorrow, or whenever it is, maybe you're retired, but when you used to work, or whatever it is you work on now, you got off the clock at a certain time, and then you had free time. You could go do with it as you pleased. Well, they never got off the clock. Whether it was right early in the morning or midnight, at any moment their master could call on them, they had no free time. This is what it meant to be a doulos. So these first four words here, you are a servant, you are a slave, is very important. So hold that thought, we're going to continue with the rest of the verse. Verse 24 again, so Matthew chapter 6, if you turn back, Matthew chapter 6 verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one, and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So this leads us to our second point this morning. There are, in fact, two masters. There are two masters. So he calls us a servant and a slave. And then he goes and says, there are two masters. This word for masters, right after this word, doulos, is curios. Curios, and it means possessor owner, master of property, head of household, or slave owner. So, Jesus is teaching there's only two masters to choose from. Just like last week, there was earthly treasure, and then there was church. What was last week? Earthly treasure and heavenly treasure. There are two masters. There is an earthly master, and then there is a heavenly master, Jesus Christ. So he's teaching us again, and he's going to show us we either have a love for one and a hate for the other, or a hate for one and a love for the other. Notice here he's not saying you can have a love for both, right? We can't love the things in the world and the things in heaven, and he's saying we can't hate both of those. We love one, and it shows our love by a lack of love for the other. To illustrate this, I want us to turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 15. And this is going to illustrate that love-hate relationship as well as it it talks about the word doulos here. So Romans chapter 6 verse 15 through 18 it says this what then are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace by no means do you not know what do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves there's that word dulos you are a slave of the one whom you obey either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness so in the same verse here Jesus is teaching us that we can't have two or two masters. Paul is saying the same thing. You can't have two masters. And the one you're obedient to is the one that shows who you're serving. Now I want you to hold your place in Romans. We're going to turn back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 24. No one can serve two masters for he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one, despise the other. And then it goes on to say, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, King James Version for that word money, it says the word mammon. Mammon, some of you know this. And that word, I really like the word mammon because it's not just about money that Jesus is talking about. It's actually all earthly things, possessions, your earthly treasure and your money. So he's saying you can't serve both God and earthly treasures. And he goes on and says this. Many times we think that we own our earthly treasure. Right? We own our, I own a car. I own the things in my house. And Jesus is saying you, you can't do both. You can't love one and love the other. And I want us to see, remember in Matthew chapter 6, he says... No one can serve. Remember, doulos. And then he says, two masters. I want us to understand the illustration he's using because he's talking about our stuff. See, many times I think my car exists for me, right? My toys that I own exist for my pleasure. But he's saying, no one can serve. And who's in the position of being a servant? I am, right? You are. Two masters. And all of a sudden, he's put my stuff in the position of master. We, in our world, get these things backwards. We think our things serve us. But Jesus is saying, in all actuality, the things are our master over us, and we are slaves to our possessions. And so, that's why Jesus was very specific with the words he used, saying, you are a slave. And you are a slave either to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, or you are a slave to earthly treasure. And then he puts earthly treasure in that position. And he says that master is either God, at the end of the verse, either God or your stuff. What a radical change of perspective for our world today because we think things exist for our purposes. And Jesus is trying to show us we can't serve both. This leads us to point number three. A Christian, by definition, is a slave to his master, Jesus Christ. A Christian, if we are a Christian, by definition, that means we are a slave, a doulos to our master, curios Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means a ton of things. When we look at Romans chapter six, that we just read. It says this, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? This means this, if I go up and I say, God, I'm going to serve you. I'm giving you my life. You're my master. And then I go live my life, and I don't live that way. Who's really my master? I am. And so that's why the Bible warns all the time about people coming to Jesus Christ and professing master. And then he says, okay, go do this. And we saw last week, the rich young ruler, he said, okay, this is what you need to do. Go sell all your things, right? Give the money to the poor and come and follow me. His treasure and his heart were so attached to the things that we see that what we're we're talking about in his life, right? We see that his treasure was his master, and he was enslaved to those things. And so he couldn't follow Christ. And Romans chapter 6 is saying the same thing. The thing we are obedient to it shows who really is our master. So a Christian, by definition, is a slave to his master, Jesus Christ. And what's incredible here is the very fact that we know what our master's will is. You know God's will. Or at least you have access to it. And it's all in God's word. It's not like he's told us what to do and what not to do and then left and then we don't have a record of it. No, we actually have a record of what he has commanded us to do in every situation in your life. Every circumstance, every relationship, every choice, every financial matter, every earthly matter, he has a position on it. And if you are a slave to him, Then you go to his word, and if he says something immediately, end of story, there's no questioning it, right? That's how a slave lives their life. If I'm enslaved to my master and I go say, what do you want me to do in this situation? He says, I want you to do option A. I can't leave and go do option B, C, or something else. And if I do, it shows he's not really my master, To have a person who says they're a Christian, but live a life that is outside what the Bible calls Christian, is an oxymoron. It doesn't exist. It's incompatible. And the Bible has a place for that. It says those people aren't Christians. And so we need to be evaluating our life and saying, am I living a type of life that warrants and shows who my master is? This leads to point number four. Who we obey reveals our allegiance. Who we obey reveals our allegiance. And don't get me wrong, this is not saying that our works is the thing that saves us. It's not about what we do. But by what we do, it shows who we are um, enslaved to. If we are enslaved to sin, if we are enslaved to self, we're going to pursue our own earthly desires, our own wants. But if we're enslaved to Jesus Christ, even if it means bad for me, right? Even if my commander says, I want you to run out. Let's say we're in battle. And he says, I want you to run out straight to the enemy line. There's gunfire coming. You don't question it. You just go. And he's the one who's providing. Church, I can tell you this. If we started seeing ourselves in this manner, if Christians all started seeing ourselves as, I am a slave in direct obedience, enslaved, I've given up my rights, I've given up my properties, I've given up my desires, everything, I've given it all up to pursue him. If we lived our life that way, this world would be changed upside down for the kingdom of God. But instead, many times we struggle because we have our own wants, right? Right? We have our own desires, and many times we argue even amongst ourselves as Christians because we all have a preference, right? We all have preferences. We all have things that we like to do. This is why it's so hard for kids and teens to honor parents. Parents say this, go do this, and the kids don't want to do it. There's, there's an issue going on there, and it's a vertical issue with them and God, not necessarily with their parents because God says obey your parents honor your parents, so when a child or a teen is not honoring their parents they 're disobeying God, and they 're showing who their master is. The master is not my parents, the master is not is not god it 's me. The same thing with adults. we have our own struggles. the reason why it 's hard for us to love our spouse or to love others or to put somebody else first, even when they 're wrong, right to put others. First, we have the same reasons why it's hard to do that, because we all have preferences. We all have things that we like to be done our way, and when they're not, the Bible says this is what brings about quarrels. This is what brings about division among you, when you argue about things that don't matter. And in that, I mean, we all have preferences. And being in a pastoral position, I know Terry and I and the other staff, we hear things all the time from... This type of music or this type of music to we want this type of ministry or this type of ministry. And there's all these, we can get cards in of the same exact opposite things all the time. And I want us in all of these moments when you're confronted with something that you don't like how it's done, whether it's in church, whether it's your marriage, whether it's a relationship, whether it's between you and your parents, I want you to stop and really think, what am I fighting for? That's a good question to ask yourself. What am I fighting for? When I'm, when I'm in a conflict with my spouse, am I arguing for me or am I arguing for the glory of God? That's a question that we need to stop and ask ourselves. When something isn't done our way and we come about it and we're doing things, as soon as we cross over the line and it becomes disunity in our marriage, as soon as we cross the line and it becomes a conflict or an argument, as soon as we cross the line, it becomes a heart issue or disunity in the church, we have stepped into no longer him being our master. We've stepped into who being our master? Me. Me. And that's what Jesus is warning us. He's saying you can only serve one master. And either it's going to be earthly treasure and your own desires, or it's going to be Him. And when it's Him, even when something comes into our life that we don't want to do, what does a servant, a slave, do? They do it anyways, because they have made a decision to give up their rights, to give up their rights. And we're going to get to here shortly why that is such a good idea for us to do this morning, why that's such a good idea to do this morning so I I want us to remember what he said let's look to Matthew chapter 6 we're going to start into verse 25 so we spent a lot of time just on one verse but this is going to go quick Matthew chapter 6 verse 25 he now brings us into the next part and I've always heard these passages broken up but they're essential for us to understand them connected together says this therefore I tell you Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So in summary, Jesus is saying, don't be anxious about our food, our body, our time, and our earthly treasure. He said, don't worry about those things. And then he gives us two illustrations why. Let's look. Verse 26. First illustration is the birds of the air. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Illustration number two, he gives about clothing, the lilies of the field. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And then Jesus goes and he gives an invitation. Verse 31, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The invitation Jesus gave was in verse 33. Look back again at it. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This invitation Jesus gave leads us to point number five this morning. Make Jesus your master and king. Make Jesus your master and king. We're going to get to why and why that's so important. What it means to fully trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Meaning you've made him your curios, your master. And you are now... The doulos, the servant, the slave, with no rights. Well, what does it mean when you make him master and king? I want to list off a couple of things. It means a lot of things, but I want to list three. If you make him master and king, you no longer exist for your purpose, but for his purpose. This life is no longer about you. When you become a Christian, it's no longer about you. When I became a Christian, as much as I like to think life is about me, It's no longer about me. It's about serving the one who has given me life and eternity. Point number two, you are committed to being obedient to him. Above all else, you're committed to being obedient to him. Point number three, we explicitly follow God's word alone in all matters. Meaning, if it is not in here, it's not a major issue. Right? And if it is in here, it is a major issue. That's why it's so important we read and study and we encourage you and we've been reading through together as a church our Bible reading plan. How many of you are actively or pursuing Bible reading plan? Quickly raise your hand. All right, a lot of people. How many of you are behind? I'll be honest, we're behind. All right, we're working on it. We're working on it. I encourage you, do that. It's so important for us to be studying the Word of God and doing it together as a church. So, Jesus is saying... In verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and God will add all these things to you. Well, what are these things Jesus is talking about? Well, we just read through them, and he talked about our life, our food, our clothing, our body, where we're going to sleep. He talked about all these, and he said, don't worry about any of them. Well, this would come up because he just told them before, You have earthly treasure and heavenly treasure. What I need you to do is this earthly treasure, transfer it to heavenly treasure. So the people are naturally thinking, okay, if I transfer all of that, how am I going to survive? And he's going through and he's saying, don't worry about these things. Don't worry about anything. And I know for us, that is a lot easier said than done, right? How many of you worry about things? A lot of people's hands go up. We have things we worry about, things we're anxious about. And the question arises, well, why? Why should we not worry? Jesus is saying, don't worry. How, how is that going to happen in my life? Why should that happen in my life? I mean, what about my finances, my debt, my income, my retirement, my family situation, work situation, my relationship my friend status, whatever it may be, why should I not worry about these things? And that's the million-dollar question. And Jesus is about to show us why we should not worry. And we've already read through a lot of it, but we're going to piece that together, why we shouldn't. Point number six, when you make Jesus your master, you have nothing to worry about. When you make Jesus your master, you have nothing to worry about. Let me explain. Being a servant in their culture, had a lot of benefits. It wasn't like being a slave like we know of 100 years ago. Being a servant and a slave in their culture had a lot of benefits. What it meant was you could go to somebody and entrust them and say, "I'm going to be your servant and slave." And that master would take responsibility among them upon themselves for your food, your provision, your clothing, a place for you to sleep, all of those things. The master would have that responsibility for. And so Jesus is saying, you need to entrust yourself to him. Now, there were a couple of reasons why we might be hesitant for that. In that culture, what if you entrusted yourself to somebody who was financially poor, right? You went to that master and you entrusted yourself and they didn't have the finances to make sure you got food. They didn't have the finances to make sure that you had a place to sleep, well, then you should be hesitant to entrust yourself to somebody who doesn't have the means to take care of you. What if they didn't have a good moral character? Well, that's another reason you should be hesitant. If they just flew off on their temper and sometimes would beat their slaves, which sometimes happened, that's another reason why you might be hesitant. But for a good master, none of these things were the issue. So why is it that it is an incredible privilege for us to be a slave of Him? Well, simply because Jesus Christ is good and provides. He always does what is right. He is just. This is why we can trust Him as our master. It's why when we make Him our master and we really submit to Him as Lord and that we are His slave, that we can actually do that with confidence. You can do that with confidence and really not worry because He has unconditional love for us. Listen, when he is your master, he will never treat you unfairly. Never treat you unfairly. Never give you a harsh word that was not for the benefit of loving you. He will provide for you. These are things why it is an incredible privilege to be a slave of Jesus Christ. Many times in our culture, we hear the word slave, servant, and we automatically think how negative that is but it matters who you're in submission to, right? If you have an incredible master and you are in submission to the most incredible master ever, then it is a privilege to be his servant, to be his slave. And that's what Jesus is saying. Why we don't need to worry is because it's all of our master's responsibility. I mean, when you're a little kid, you don't worry about if your parents are going to feed you or not. If you have a good home situation, right? I don't ever remember worrying if I was going to be loved by my parents or be fed. And God is so much better than my earthly parents. And so when people entrust themselves as a slave to him, they no longer need to worry about earthly provisions. Because you know what? Whose responsibility is that? It's not ours. It's God's responsibility. And Jesus is trying to show us a privilege it is to submit ourselves to him as master, Lord, and that we are a slave. So what happens when we do that and we are still anxious about things? We say, I I feel like I've done that, and I still worry. I'm still anxious about things. Well, there's, there's two solutions or two possibilities, I should say, that I've thought of why that could be happening. The first is this. Either you have not fully trusted Christ as master and Lord in that area of your life, And you have taken on the burden to do it yourself. So if it's something financially or something with, you know, a a choice or a decision, you're trying to bear that weight on yourself. You haven't entrusted it over to him. So that's option one. Option two is that you don't think he has the desire or the resources to fix the situation you're in. That's the only two options. Option one is you haven't trusted him in that area. And option two is let's say you've made him master and Lord, but you still have reservations. Well, why do you have reservations? Either it's because you don't think he wants to do that on your behalf or he can't do it on your behalf. Is God's arms so short that he does not have the provision to meet whatever need you're in? As a good master, he has access to all things and his character is so good that he will seek and do what is right in all circumstances. So, church, what does this mean for us? We need to evaluate, are we in the situation right now in our Christian walk where you, when you look upon your relationship with him, that it is a servant-master relationship? It's not God exists for me, because many times I know I live my life that way, like he's just along for the ride and he can bless me some on my journey. God is not that type of God. He says, we are doulos, slaves of something, and it's either that we are slaves to our stuff or we are slaves to Jesus Christ, and I encourage every single one of us, let's start putting ourselves in that situation, understanding that he is the master, we are a slave, which means we've given up our rights. Even when somebody has wronged me, I've given up my rights. By what right do I have to go and make them apologize? As a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ, I don't have rights any longer. And there is a limit to that, but for the most part's, We need to seek to be unified, we need to seek love, and that's only because we are a servant, we are a slave. What a privilege that is. So what does this mean? Verse 33 and 34 sum sum this whole thing up. We need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, In verse 34, therefore, because of everything we've learned so far about his goodness and his character and his provision, and that he wants us to be servant and slave, to provide for us, therefore, if we live in that type of relationship, we cannot be anxious about tomorrow. It says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Church, I want to encourage you. I just want us to take a moment just of prayer, and it'll be silent. Whatever you need to do between you and God, if it's just continuing to submit to him, or maybe it's for the first time hearing this type of message and acknowledging him, God, I acknowledge you as my master. Help me to always serve you. Let's take a moment, and you pray as you need to be. God, I thank you that you can be our master. God, I thank you that I can be your slave, your servant. God, it is an incredible privilege to be in that situation, that that position. Because you are the only person worthy of being served. God, I thank you for the assurance that you give us as a position of slave. To you. The assurance is we could never get on our own, but we have because we are in you. God, I thank you that you are responsible and that you do provide for our needs. And there there are so many things that I don't have to worry about. God, I pray that for those of us who are going through things, God, that you may help us understand what it means that you, as our Master, provide for us and take care of us. Help us to. To not just know that, but to feel it and understand it. God, help what we know to be transferred into life action. It's not just something we talk about, but it's something we can live out. God, I pray if there's anyone here and they don't know you as master and Lord, that today that they would call upon you in their heart even now and just say, God, I want to make you master. God, we thank you for the incredible privilege it is to be children of you. We thank you for your goodness.